You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash crimes, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash crimes to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash crimes. Good morning, and thanks for joining me for Rise and Crime, your morning caffeine hit all about crime. I'm Mama Jules, and let's get to an update to another case where the family of the victim is fighting for justice for the loved one that was potentially murdered, but never viewed by law enforcement as just that, murdered. Well, we have to go back to July of 2018 where 48-year-old Lara Pijotko had been celebrating with friends after France beat Belgium in the semifinals of the World Cup. See, Lara spoke French, her father was French, and she had just visited Paris a month prior, celebrating her own birthday. She was overjoyed that France was moving along nicely in the soccer competition or football, if you're from a different country. And she returned from the bar where she had been watching the game to her Manhattan high rise at about 410 that day. Now, as she entered the building, she high fived the doorman and security camera footage shows her getting on the elevator. And this is presumably to head to her 27th floor apartment. Well, just 10 short minutes later, a neighbor on the 27th floor said she walked down the hallway, but she didn't notice anything out of the ordinary. And then another 10 minutes goes by and that very same neighbor, well, she said she heard loud noises and she went to the hallway to investigate, but she didn't see any people, but she did see a purse lying on the floor outside of the trash compactor. Well, then another 10 minutes goes by. And a maintenance worker is summoned to repair the jammed trash compactor. It was then that he discovered Lara's crushed body. Now, the NYPD did conduct a brief investigation where they discovered that the purse the neighbor noticed did belong to Lara. And they also determined that Lara's blood alcohol level was 0.29 at the time of her death. Well, the NYC office of the chief medical examiner, he eventually came to the conclusion that the circumstances around the death were unclear. However, there is no suspicion of foul play. So he doesn't really know how she died, but he is saying there was nothing, you know, wonky about her death. And then he lists the manner of death as undetermined. 
And this is where Lara's father, Nicholas, he enters the story. For the past five years, he has maintained that there was no plausible way that Lara could have accidentally fallen in the trash chute, nor does he believe she would attempt suicide. So here's where he comes to that conclusion. Lara was 5 feet 10 inches tall. And the trash chute door at the Zirkendorf Towers in Manhattan, well, it's 15 inches by 18 inches. That's not very big. And he believes that the opening is too small for anybody to accidentally fall down the trash compactor. Now, with little movement from the NYPD in addressing Nicholas's concerns, he decides to turn to former NYC Chief Medical Examiner Michael Baden. And after reviewing autopsy notes lab tests, crime scene photos, and x-rays, Baden determines that Lara may have died from a homicidal ligature strangulation before being placed in the garbage chute. Now, Baden's report concluded that the possible strangulation could explain why there was very little bleeding from the lacerated abdomen. So basically, she was crushed in the compactor and parts of her insides then were on the outside, but there wasn't much blood. Now, Nicholas also has concerns that Lara's blouse was torn from her body, and he believes that could have occurred during a violent altercation before even being placed in the trash chute. Now, if Nicholas is correct about a violent altercation, then who would do such a thing to a wealthy event organizer who worked for organizations like WebMD? She was, at the time of her death, actually dating WebMD CEO Wayne Gattinella. And this is according to friends. And those same friends said suicide just wasn't an option for Lara. But her past might have been the more concerning issue. Lara was in the middle of a nasty divorce from the father of her son. Now, David, her estranged husband, and Lara were fighting over millions of dollars in assets. And these assets included a home in the Hamptons and two apartments in Manhattan. And custody of their son was also in question. Lara was at the time fighting to regain custody of their 12-year-old. See, Lara had lost custody due to a DUI charge, but she had been granted visitation rights shortly before her death, and she was actually scheduled for one of those visitations for the day after her death. Now, David, the estranged husband, told Dateline the following, and these are his words. I can only say that my divorce, like so many, was a painful and sad experience to go through with someone I had loved so deeply. But that does not diminish the grief and trauma our son and I have experienced by the tragic loss of our wife and mother, Lara. It is a pain that we are both still learning to cope with and which we will both carry with us forever. All right. Well, just this last week, we hit the five-year anniversary of Lara's untimely death, and Lara's father, Nicholas, has decided to take matters to the civil courts to try and secure justice for his daughter. Nicholas filed a wrongful death lawsuit alleging that David and an unidentified hitman conspired to murder Lara. Now, that's a big leap, right? How did Nicholas come to that conclusion? Well, he's claiming that David installed tracking software on Lara's computer, which then enabled the hitman to lie in wait on the 27th floor of that Manhattan apartment building. The lawsuit also contends that the hitman strangled Lara and then shoved her lifeless body down the trash chute. 
and the motive for such drastic measures, according to the lawsuit, was the acrimonious divorce. David was potentially going to lose millions to Lara in that divorce settlement, which was creating intense financial pressure. He was already feeling the squeeze because he had claimed bankruptcy and closed his construction business just two years prior to her death. Now, David's attorney has responded to the suit, claiming that the unidentified hitman is a, quote, wholly fictitious person. And civil suits are notoriously slow, as this suit has been so far. So it will most likely be a while before I give you another update, but I will be watching this case and I will let you know. Let's take a moment to remember Lara, because no matter how this case turns out, Lara's death was untimely, and her son is growing up without his mother. Nicholas remembers Lara for her great interpersonal skills, especially noting she was extremely social and she could network with anyone, and that's where he attributes all her success is to this trait of being able to do that. Now, her sister Taylor said her goal was to protect her child, and Taylor told Dateline the following, Every day we have the horror and trauma of reliving this, rethinking her final moments and how her beautiful life could end in such a monstrous manner. It's beyond vile. Nobody deserves that. All right, here's another update to the case of Rudy Farias. This is the third consecutive podcast where I have reported on Rudy. And this case has been the twistiest roller coaster ride. I swear it belongs in a Six Flags theme park. But here we go again. Third time's the charm, right? Okay, quick reminder Rudy was reported missing by his mother in 2015. And she claimed Rudy had taken the family's two dogs on a walk and that the dogs had come back and they were still wearing their leashes, but that there wasn't any sign of Rudy. Now, his mother, Janie, contended for the next eight years after the disappearance that Rudy was missing, but there were people reporting that they were seeing Rudy, and this was happening more often than you would think. Like, it was occasionally happening over those eight years. All right, well, a little over two weeks ago, Rudy was found either sleeping or unresponsive, and like I've said before, it really depends on which outlet is doing the reporting, but he was found on a bench in front of a local church. And Janie had claimed it was a miraculous discovery. She even shared these pictures of Rudy's feet and a sleeping Rudy, but you can't really see his face, but he's in the hospital bed. Well, she shared those with a local news anchor. And she told that same news anchor that Rudy had scratches and bruises and that he was nonverbal. Well, we learned last week that Rudy is estranged from his mother since being discovered and that he was living with a family friend. This all according to his aunt, Pauline Sanchez. Now, Pauline, along with an activist speaking on behalf of Rudy, said they were going to shield Rudy from the media, and they contended that Rudy had been abused by his mother for the last eight years. Now, I don't even know what's 100% true in all of this story, and who knows what's 100% true because everyone has their own version of the truth. So let's just break it down. Let's start with what Rudy is now saying, because he did decide on Tuesday to speak with Fox 26 and ABC 13 in Houston. And Rudy says he was manipulated into staying with his mother over the last eight years. He likened his life to living in a prison, saying, quote, I lived in a jail my whole effing life. 
And then he went on to say, I just wanted to be free. He said also that it felt like Stockholm syndrome and that he was manipulated both physically and mentally. Now he does clarify that he was never handcuffed and that he did have the ability to freely leave, but he felt brainwashed and confused. And he was worried if he did leave, he would get arrested. Now he denies that the abuse was sexual, but that Janie did push boundaries with him saying he was forced to sleep in her bed, but that he would stop his mom from harming him when she tried to push those boundaries. Now, when asked if his mother took advantage of him, Rudy responded with just one word, heavily. Rudy also expressed that he would just like his mother to leave him alone. All right, so that leaves us with conflicting accounts from his family members and those activists working on his behalf. So how about what the family is saying? Well, Rudy's cousin, Michelle Rodriguez, said in a statement shared by Fox 7 in Austin that Houston police knew Rudy was being abused by Janie, not just over the last eight years, but several years prior to his disappearance. And they allowed that abuse to continue. Now, according to Michelle, she says that prior to his so-called disappearance, that Janie, his mom, had been seen by Rudy's late grandma. Okay, let's follow the trail here that Janie had been seen by Rudy's late grandma causing abuse to Rudy. And that abuse was sexual, physical, and mental. And Pauline, his aunt, well, she's saying that Janie is a con woman and an internet catfish using multiple names and profiles on various social media platforms. All right. Now, the account by activist Quanell X has some similar undertones. He is saying that police knew for years about the abuse because family members had contacted law enforcement trying to get them to intervene. Quanell X recounted in a statement that he had specifically talked with an investigator that was over Rudy's case. And he said that investigator told him that she had spoken with Houston police over the last eight years and she had asked the police to have the mother looked into further, but that Houston police looked the other way. He then contends that Rudy's mother, Janie, allegedly raised funds to help search for her son, but she actually ended up taking that money to use on several different vacations. All right, so we've heard from the activists, we've heard from the family, we've heard from Rudy. Well, what about what the police are saying? Well, according to police chief Troy Finner, the Houston PD are choosing to not treat Rudy as a potential victim. He uses some, I don't know, in my opinion, very vague language about giving respect to everyone involved and that he just doesn't know if Rudy is a victim or not. So they aren't going to treat him as a victim. And I get it. There is definitely a time when police need to be vague, especially when they are trying to zone in on a suspect and there might be details from a crime scene that they don't want to reveal, but that's not really what's happening here. They know Rudy, they know the mom, and they know the family. So what's to keep vague about here? All right, but we're going to be fair and we're always fair to both sides here. So the police are also saying that they did contact people they believed to be Rudy and Janie over the last eight years. And both mother and son allegedly gave police fake names and birth dates. All right, here's one more twist. Police say Rudy was safe and staying with his mother, but didn't his aunt say he is staying with a family friend? Okay, 
There's so much he said, she said, they said going on in this case. So where does it go from here? Well, here's the next twist. GoFundMe has permanently banned Janie from using their platform. And I will say it appears she only collected about $2,000 from that site while Rudy was missing. So if all of the family's stories are accurate, that was definitely $2,000 too much. Any amount of money is too much. But you also aren't taking several super lavish vacays on $2,000. And are you ready for another twist? Well, just two days ago, the New York Post reported that Janie showed up with shopping bags from Macy's and Walmart to the home where Rudy is or was staying. And that they had some sort of, I don't know, dysfunctional reunion there. And according to a neighbor, the family, friends, and possible family members that were at the East Houston home, well, they came out of the residence and they were yelling at Janie. And apparently, Rudy did accept the gifts, but did not leave to return home with Janie. So as of today, no charges are filed against Janie and Rudy is with a family friend, supposedly. Now, and if the past tells us anything, the twists are probably not over in this case. All right, let's talk about a true crime story where there isn't murder and there isn't couples cheating on each other and there isn't deep web murder for hire schemes because heaven knows we've had our fair share of those in recent weeks. But this true crime story has a tie to just about every parent because raise your hand if you are one of those parents who shelled out tons of dough to have your kid play youth soccer or baseball or In my case, with Peyton from Murder With My Husband, we did 18 years of dance teams, recitals, dance conventions that included tons of travel. And maybe you're the kid whose parent did that for you. And I bet you're like me. I wouldn't change any of that for anything. In fact, it's some of my sweetest memories. But dishonest people can mar and ruin everything they touch. And that's what a married couple have been accused of in New Jersey. Joseph Morosky was serving as the field director for the Old Bridge Soccer League. He and his wife, Kathleen, were arrested and booked on Monday for making a series of unauthorized withdrawals from the organization's accounts and then using the stolen money for personal purchases. The total amount alleged to be stolen? $91,000. Someone working within the organization had suspected the couple of defrauding dozens of parents and sponsors who had either donated funds or paid required fees for children to participate in the programs. And the organization, well, they then alerted Old Bridge Police, and a subsequent six-month investigation led to arrests and charges of theft, conspiracy to commit theft, and fraudulent use of a credit card. Now, according to a statement by Old Bridge Police, they said the couple funded a family vacation to Walt Disney World, as well as other vacations. They also allegedly threw an extravagant party for their child, and they made some Amazon purchases and paid for their utility bills. Now, we're just going to have to wait and see what happens with Joseph and Kathleen, but there is more to the stealing of money in New Jersey. Now, Old Bridge is about a half hour south of Newark, New Jersey. And if you head just 15 more minutes south, you'll find yourself in Freehold Township. And this is where, in 2016, a treasurer for another youth soccer league said, hey, Kathleen and Joseph, hold my beer. 
because 57-year-old Anthony Gallo, he was the treasurer for the Freehold Soccer League, and when bills for uniforms were not paid, it prompted a closer look at the books that Anthony had been keeping. Now, the investigation uncovered more than $300,000 in checks that had been written directly to Anthony, and he also made numerous unauthorized automated teller machine withdrawals, bringing the grand total to nearly $400,000. Now, Anthony must have had some sort of conscience, or maybe he started feeling guilty because before getting caught, he attempted to pay a portion of the debt back by returning $119,000 into the soccer account. Now, it is unclear where Anthony spent all that money, but he did use $12,000 to pay his cell phone bills, and thousands more were spent on shopping, meals out at restaurants, and he did make a significant purchase at a Honda dealership. But unlike Joseph and Kathleen, We don't have to wait to see what happened to Anthony. Superior Court Judge Vincent Valsitano sentenced Gallo to six years in prison, as well as being ordered to pay $280,000 in restitution. All right, I know I can say this most weeks here on Rise in Crime, but let's please be better to our kids. They don't exist to solve our problems. All right, I'll quit lecturing. And I'll close out this Thursday edition of Rise and Crime. Thanks for following along on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And you can join me again on Monday for more morning crime news. I'm Mama Jules, and keep safe out there. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.